Well, good morning, everyone. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. We're continuing our study of the book of Hebrews. We're going to be in chapter 3. Uh, I'll read verses 12 through 19 of chapter 3, but most of our attention will be focused on verses 13 and following. As we come to Hebrews 3, we are continuing our study of perseverance. Uh, Two weeks ago, we covered the first half of chapter 3, and this week we will conclude chapter 3 and see how it is that we are to persevere in the faith. And so, we turn our attention now to God's holy word. Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was He provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did He swear that they would not enter His rest, but to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. This is God's holy word for us as people. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, as we continue to study Your word, we pray that You would give to us Your Spirit that we might have the grace of a heart that is renewed. That we would not approach the encouragement and the promises, the exhortations of Your Word with a hardened heart, but rather we would respond and we would believe according to Your grace and power within us. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. It is a proven fact that encouraging signs help marathon runners fight off fatigue and stay motivated in their race. And so when we have the 10-miler come across the, the street right here in front of the church each September, people will hold signs up telling people, encouraging them to keep going. They're doing a great job. And those are not empty words. They actually help runners to run better. Conversely, discouragement and perceived obstacles will hinder the performance of endurance athletes. If they hear words that tell them that it's going to be longer than they thought it was going to be, or they're running slower than they thought they were going to run, that there's no way that they are going to make it to the end, it will make their performance go down. You see, words make a difference. 
What you say to others has a profound effect on the way that they perceive themselves and their future. And when it comes to the question of perseverance in the faith, words are of central importance. The words that we speak and the words that we hear will either give us life or they will lead to our destruction. Look down at verse 13 and see what the author says. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now this verse begins with that contrast, but. In verse 12, we see the warning not to allow yourself to fall away from the living God because of an unbelieving heart. We talked about that a few weeks ago, but now in verse 13, the author is giving us the remedy to an unbelieving heart. Don't fall away, but exhort one another daily. The word exhort has a broad range of meaning. It includes everything from encouragement and comfort to warning and reproof. But at the heart of exhortation is perseverance. To keep going in the right direction. When someone is tired and worn out, exhortation means a word of encouragement. When someone is wandering from the path, Exhortation is correction to get them back on the path so that they will not become lost. And in our Christian life, we need both. There are times when we are weary and we're discouraged and we need a life-giving word. We need a fellow believer to come alongside of us and speak the truth of God's love and the power of the Spirit within us. We need to be reminded that God holds us in the palm of His hand, and though there is weeping that will last for the night, joy will surely come in the morning. Exhortation means that we need to say to one another, keep going. On the other hand, there are times when we have wandered off the track, and we need a fellow believer to offer a word of correction. To show us in God's Word that our actions or our words are not worthy of the calling to which we have been called. We need to hear it is time to get back on track. And every single Christian in this room is called to this ministry of exhortation. You are called to offer words of life to fellow believers. Now as a pastor, I have the most public responsibility to exhort. Verse 13 is teaching us of the importance of sitting under the preaching of God's Word. It's teaching pastors that they must offer the words of life through exhortation each Sunday. But it's also teaching every single one of us that our words are of central importance in the perseverance of the saints. Do you realize that? What you say or fail to say affects other people's relationship with God. When you teach Sunday school, when you do a Bible study, when you share in a small group, when you talk with your friends one-on-one, -on -one, how do you speak words of life? When you speak to your children, when you speak to your siblings, are your words aimed towards encouragement in the faith or discouragement? 
Your words will either encourage others to continue in the faith or to abandon the faith. And you might feel a bit overwhelmed by that statement, but it's not meant to overwhelm. I think it's merely pointing out the obvious truth. Because if we didn't believe that our words affected other people's relationship with the Lord, then the whole endeavor of evangelism and discipleship would be pointless. There would be no point in teaching and rebuking and correcting. There would be no point in teaching people the gospel if our words did not have an effect on their relationship with the Lord. But we believe 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. The Word of God is life-giving. It's been breathed out by God. And as we exhort one another, as we encourage and comfort and teach and correct and reprove and train one another according to God's life-giving words, we will be equipped to persevere in the faith. Now, verse 13 gives a very specific reason why we need to exhort one another. Look at what it says again. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. Why? that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need to offer each other the truth of God's Word because sin is deceitful. It lies. We need to speak the truth of God's Word because sin is continually lying to us. And if we listen to the lying sin, it will harden our hearts Christian, we are in a battle against the working of sin and Satan. Look at how the author speaks of sin as this actor in this verse. Sin is not some inert substance that's just sitting out there. Rather, it is acting upon us. Sin will harden your heart. Sin is an enemy. Sin works within us. You get close to sin and it will take advantage of it. And so the warning is, don't get close to sin. Don't allow the deceitfulness of sin to get a foothold. The warning is a bit like saying, don't get eaten by a bear. No one wants to get eaten by a bear. But each year, people do fall victim to bear attacks. Why? Not because they go out and say, hey, I want to get attacked by a bear, but rather because they ignore the warnings and they get too close. They don't take the proper precaution. They do not heed the multiple exhortations that tell us no matter how cool your selfie will look with a bear in the background, it's not a good idea to get that close to a bear. And sin is like this. You play with sin. You get too close to sin. The lies and the deceitfulness of sin will harden your heart. You might not have the intention of being deceived, but if you do not take the warnings and the exhortations of Scripture seriously and you get too close to sin, it will pull you down and it will deceive you. And before you know it, sin will harden your heart. And therefore, if we continue in the faith, 
We must exhort one another with the Word of God. We must offer words of encouragement rooted in God's Word. We must offer words of correction rooted in God's Word. Now I'll offer a bit of pastoral guidance on this point. This call to exhortation does not mean that you have free range to tell everyone everything you think about everything that they're doing. Exhortation is not criticism as such. It's not exhortation to tell someone all of your nitpicky opinions about their parenting or the way that they dress or their grammar or their leadership style. Rather, exhortation is always aimed at encouraging fellow believers to persevere, to keep going. And sometimes that means making a specific effort to say, keep going. You're honoring God with your life and with your ministry. I know that it's hard now, but the Lord will give you strength. And sometimes it means saying you've gotten off course. It's time to leave aside the sin that is hindering you in your race. There is danger ahead. And we need to up our exhortation game. Because the Scripture says that we need to do it daily. We need to hear words of exhortation daily. We need to tell our spouse, our siblings, our children, our friends, our family members, our fellow church members, we need to tell them these words of life. We need to encourage them day in and day out. And you need to ask yourself, how am I exhorting those who are around me? Am I speaking to them? Encouraging words to keep going in the faith. Telling them that the Lord will come alongside them and will continue to help them. Because the reality is we need to hear these words of life every single day. And you will be amazed if you put in the effort to exhort those who are around you encouraging them day in and day out, telling them that the Lord is with them, encouraging them in their prayer life and reading the Word of God and pursuing holiness, when time comes for the exhortation that is correction, they are much more willing to receive it then than if you've been silent for weeks upon weeks upon weeks and then you come in telling them how to live their life. We need to daily exhort one another. Christian, the Lord has given us His Word, and we must share these words of life with one another that we might persevere in the faith. Now, in the question of perseverance and eternal security, the next verse of our text is one of the most important. It gives us the proper balance between those who would claim one can lose their salvation if they so choose, and those who claim that as long as you have had a profession of faith at some point in your life, you can never lose your salvation. Look down at verse 14. It says, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Now the author uses that phrase, share in Christ, to mean true salvation. 
To share in Christ means that by God's grace, through faith, you have come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. It means that you have been joined to Christ in such a way that His death has become your death to sin. That His resurrection has become your resurrection into new life. Paul, the apostle, uses the shorthand in Christ to speak of the same theological reality. To share in Christ, to be in Christ, to be in union with the Lord Jesus Christ through faith is the essence and the foundation of everlasting life. It is in Christ that we are elected before the foundation of the earth. It's in Christ that we are forgiven of our sin. It's in Christ that we are accounted righteous because of His righteousness. It is in Christ that we grow in holiness. It is in Christ that we persevere in the faith. It is in Christ that we will be brought into eternal glory. This is at the very heart of the gospel. Are you in Jesus Christ? Have you been joined to Him? Do you share in Him? Can you proclaim as the Apostle Paul did, therefore if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. As we spoke of two weeks ago, true salvation is a matter of the heart. It is God's work of making us this new creation in Christ. And here we read that we have come to share in Christ. We have become a new creation. Past tense, right? We have to get our grammar right here. We have come to share in Christ, past tense, if we hold our confidence firm to the end. We do not earn a share in Christ by persevering to the end. No, we persevere to the end if we are in Christ. Perseverance is the result of sharing in Christ, not the cause of sharing in Christ. And therefore, if you are truly in Christ, then you will persevere to the end. You are eternally secure if you are in Christ, for no one will snatch you out of His hand. But if someone does not persevere, then it reveals that they were never truly in Christ. Imagine you have two seeds. They look very similar. They seem to be the same outwardly. However, the only way that you'll be able to tell the difference is to plant these seeds and see what type of plant comes forth. Over time, it will become apparent what the nature of each of the seed is by the fruit it produces. Some seeds will produce good fruit and others bad. Some will produce flowers and other weeds. But the relationship between the fruit and the seed runs in one direction. A flower seed will produce a flower. The weed seed will produce a weed. If you are in Christ, You will persevere. That is your nature. That is your fruit. And if you have not come to share in Christ, then you won't persevere because apostasy will be your fruit. 
And therefore, the simple explanations of once saved, always saved versus the possibility of losing salvation don't capture this full biblical truth. Rather, the doctrine of perseverance of the saints means that all who have come to share in Christ will persevere. And if they do not, then they never were truly saved. So what does this mean? Well, it means that we must persevere in our faith. We must keep going. And we must do it by holding to our original confidence firm to the end. The word exvangelical is a term that is becoming popular in Christian circles over the last several years. And it refers to someone who once identified as a born-again believer, but subsequently has distanced themselves from evangelicalism specifically, or Orthodox Christianity altogether. Many of these ex-evangelicals have gone through a process of deconstructing their faith. This deconstruction entails going back to the foundational Christian beliefs and questioning their validity. In the process of deconstruction, may, one may question the truthfulness of Scripture, the divinity of Christ, the nature of the atonement, the reality of judgment in hell, or of divine creation, or of biblical sexual ethics. And there are many motives behind the deconstruction movement within evangelicalism. Often the, those who engage in deconstruction have not come from a healthy spiritual background. They may have experienced abuse from church leaders or witness major hypocrisy within their church body. Many who deconstruct their faith have come from contexts in which genuine faith-seeking understanding was stifled. They were never allowed to ask deep questions. Others began this journey because of the wedding of political ideologies with evangelicalism in general. Unfortunately, many who begin the process of deconstruction end up not only jettisoning the label evangelical, but the gospel itself. They become mired in agnosticism that continually asks the question, did God really say? And while deconstruction can take many forms, ultimately, it is a rejection of one's original confidence in the gospel. That phrase in verse 14 refers to foundational truths. And when one begins to dig up and destroy the foundational truths of the faith, it's no wonder that they will fall away from the faith. Therefore, if we would continue, we must hold firm to these words of life. It is good and healthy to ask questions and to seek answers, to know the reason that you believe the gospel, to understand why it is that you believe the Bible to be the very word of God. It's important that you give your children the opportunity to ask their questions because our faith is the truth and the truth becomes clearer the more it is investigated. However, if you reject the truth of the gospel in a vain attempt to reconstruct your beliefs, you will only build upon sand and not the rock and will make a shipwreck of your faith. Deconstruction as such is a flaunting of this warning in Hebrews chapter 3. If we would persevere in the faith, we must hold firm to our original confidence and not deconstruct. 
The way to persevere is to go to the Word of God with all of our questions and doubts and needs and there find the words of life and the power to persevere. You see, we must offer life-giving words in exhortation. We must hold fast to life-giving words in Scripture. And the final thing that we see in our text is that we must obey life-giving words if we would persevere in the faith. Look down at verses 15 and following. There we read, As it is said, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was He provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did He swear that they would not enter His rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. The author brings us back to Psalm 95 and the events surrounding Israel's rebellion against the Lord at Kadesh when they refused to enter the land of Canaan. And then he follows this quote by asking three questions concerning Israel's rebellion at this time. First he asks, who heard and yet rebelled? Who heard the life-giving words of the Lord but did not obey these words? Was it not the Israelites who fled Egypt? Was it not those who had seen the most powerful display of God's work? Second, he asked, who provoked the Lord for 40 years of wandering in the wilderness? Was it not those who continued to rebel, who refused to obey and therefore received the punishment? Those who came to the very edge of the promised land but allowed fear and unbelief to drive them towards rebellion? And third, who did God bar from entering the promised land? Was it not those who were disobedient, those who after rebelling tried to enter the land of Canaan on their own power and failed? You see, the people of Israel had been delivered from the most powerful nation on earth. They had witnessed the ten plagues, the splitting of the Red Sea, and the giving of the law. They had every spiritual advantage one might hope for. Nevertheless, they were not willing to obey the Lord's command to enter the promised land. They rebelled, were disobedient, and were unable to enter the promised land. And here we see the third way that we must persevere in the faith. That is through obedience to God's Word. Obedience is not an option in following the Lord. To use the language of a past controversy, you can't have Jesus as your Savior and not as your Lord. That is a false distinction. If you are in Christ, if you are a new creation, then you must obey the Lord's command. The prophet Jeremiah said, But this command I gave them, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. And walk in all the way that I command you, that it may be well with you. The Lord Jesus Christ said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
The Apostle Paul, speaking of the day of Christ's return, says, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, and, here's the key phrase, on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. We are not saved by our obedience to God's Word. There is no amount of obedience that you could offer to the Lord that would win you salvation from your sin and the blessing of glorifying and fully enjoying God to all eternity. That is the work of Christ alone. He has won the prize by His life of obedience. He has paid the penalty of our sin by His atoning death on the cross. He has won the victory by His resurrection from the dead. But Christian, why do you think that you have been saved? If He has saved you from your sin, what do you think He has saved you into? Is it not holiness? Is it not obedience? It is not Christ-likeness. In Ephesians 1.4, we read, He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Why? That we should be holy and blameless before Him. God has not saved you because of your obedience, but He has saved you into obedience. For why would He write His law on your heart if He didn't intend for you to obey it? And therefore, if we would persevere, we must pursue obedience with all of the power of the Spirit within us. We must not take this lightly. Christian, the way we persevere is through obedience to God's Word by the power of the Spirit within us. Now as we conclude, I want to give an exhortation that is corrective and an exhortation that is encouraging. It's still called today, so i got to exhort. So the correction. The warning that is given in verse 19 is very sobering indeed. The people of Israel were unable to enter. God would not allow them entrance. As you recall, Israel was commanded to receive the rest of the land of Canaan, right? They were delivered out of Egypt, and they made a, a fairly relatively quick journey to the edge of the promised land. But they refused to enter it, and therefore wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Now the author is using this as a typological illustration of God's invitation to salvation through Jesus Christ. Canaan is serving as the representation of the new heavens and the new earth captured in this word rest. And God is commanding us to enter into this rest through faith in Jesus Christ. However, the illustration of Israel serves as a warning because they refused the invitation to enter the rest. And God swore that the generation of Israelites would therefore never enter this rest. So what did they do? They tried to enter on their own. The Lord said, go into Canaan. They said, no. 
The Lord said, you aren't going to go into Canaan. They said, let's go into Canaan. And they suffered great defeat. They couldn't enter. And we must take this warning very seriously. The work of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ is not a work of man. It is the work of God. We are not in control of it. And in His Word, He freely invites you to come to Jesus Christ. Come to your rest. Be a new creation. He invites you to receive this new birth. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, but receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sinful ways. Trust in the forgiveness offered through the blood of Christ. And by the power of the Spirit, walk in obedience to Christ, bearing the fruits of repentance. But here's the warning. If today you hear His voice and you do not respond, there may not be another chance. God is not obligated to suffer you limitless chances to submit to Jesus Christ in faith. I remember when my wife April taught at a Christian high school in Charlotte that her students assumed that they would be able to accept Christ later after they had had their fun in their late teens and early 20s. They would say something along the lines of, I understand the gospel. I get that I should walk in obedience to the Lord, but I want to have some fun while I can. And so I'm going to hold off on the gospel until I get older. And when I settle down and start a family, then I'll get saved and start following the Lord. As though the gospel is something to be activated whenever one pleases, like flipping a switch. We must take the warning seriously. Young men and women, salvation does not work that way. You don't just get to say when you will believe because you're not in charge of salvation. And if you hear the gospel today and refuse to believe and submit to Christ now, there is no guarantee that you will ever have a chance to believe again. Not just because tomorrow isn't guaranteed, That is true. We might die. But because refusing to submit to Christ hardens your heart against the gospel. And if your heart is continually hardened through your 20s, by the time you're in your 30s, sin will have hardened you to the point that you will not even desire to believe the gospel. You cannot delay. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. You are not in control of salvation as though you can keep it in your back pocket and pull it out when you want to activate it. Today is the day of the invitation to Christ. And if your heart is pulling you to submit to Him, then submit to Him and come to share in Christ. And this leads us to the encouragement. Because I know that when we begin to speak of perseverance, that we can become a little nervous about our own salvation or the salvation of a loved one. We worry about how obedient we must be to be saved. Or what about those who've wandered from the faith for a season? Is there any hope for their return? One of the struggles of focusing on a warning in Scripture is that we then tend to think that 
everything the Bible has to say is warning, but it isn't. Truly, the Word of God continually encourages us to trust in God's grace, that He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and that the work of salvation is by His love and grace and power. And therefore, if you struggle with assurance of salvation, know that God is the one who saves you. And it's by His mercy and not your obedience that you are held fast. Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of My hand. My Father who has given them to Me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. If you're struggling with your assurance, Run to John 10, 28 and 29. Memorize these verses. Hold on to these verses that the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who gives you everlasting life. That He is the one that holds you. That the Father holds you in His hand. And your assurance doesn't come from your own power and your ability to believe, but the power of God. And what about those sheep who have seemed to have wandered away? Well, remember that while God warns us, He also encourages us that He is the shepherd who will leave the 99 to go find the one who is lost. He will find the lost one and place him upon His shoulders and tenderly bring him back to the fold. He is seeking. He is pursuing. He is drawing. And the work of salvation and perseverance is ultimately the work of God. The work that He has begun, He will bring to completion. You see, we need the warning. And we need the encouragement. We need the exhortation. So that through these God-given words of life, we will truly persevere. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to your word and we thank you that you are the God who saves, that you save sinners, And that it's by the power of your life-giving word that you call us into relationship with your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's by your life-giving words that you nourish us. It's by your life-giving words that you cause us to endure. So may we speak words of exhortation to one another daily. And may we hold fast to these life-giving words unto the end. And may we, O Lord, trust in your life-giving words through obedience that Christ may be glorified. We pray this in your holy name, Lord Jesus. Amen.